Okay, so the Parsh Mishpatim. We're coming, interestingly, right off of the Asar Sadibros, the Ten Commandments. And right afterwards, the Torah hits us with the laws that are brought down in Tractate Babakama, Babmatia, Bababasra, all the financial matters that uh, come up within Klal Yisrael. And Rashi's bothered by this, and everybody's bothered. You'd think we'd start out with Kabbalah. Hey, you start out with Kabbalah, you're going to start out with things that are, you know, davening, things that stand in the highest elements of the world, above the world, talking about money, money and this, and especially starting out the first thing when it deals with money, we're dealing with a thief. It's not, some, it seems like something's off, right? It's like we're, we're starting out this whole thing like uh, on the wrong foot, as if like there's, there's something incorrect happening here. So this needs explanation. So it says Rashi. Here we go. First, you know, before Rashi, read the Psukim. Mishpatim. And these are the financial matters, the monetary Torah laws. Ashar Tosim Lefnehem, that you, Moshe Rabbeinu, should place down, and we're going to translate this like Rashi, like a set table in front of the Jewish people. It says, place it down like a set table in front of the Jewish people. Now, what does this mean? So, here we go. Let's get into Rashi now. The, whenever you find the, the letter Vav, it means and. So we're continuing on this and that. Why does our parsha begin with a Vav, the Eila HaMeshbatim, and these are the matters? So it's coming right after the laws of, we know that in last week's parsha we had the Aseris Adibros, and the parsha ends with the, um, with the laws of the Mizbeach, the laws of the altar. So Rashi says, it's teaching us that the Sanhedrin, that deal with monetary laws, sit in the Beis HaMikdash. They sit near the altar in the Beis HaMikdash. And then we could ask, why? Why does the Sanhedrin sit near the altar in the Beis HaMikdash? To which the big focus of this week's Parsha and the underpinning point that we're really going to spend most of our time focusing on here, Bez Hashem, and rightfully so, because the overriding theme of our Parsha is that there's nothing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us that is not meant to be connected back to the Mizbeach, finances, and the way that we interact with each other financially takes up a nice percentage of our lives, the time spent, and we're obligated to take that part of our life, that time spent, whether it's earning a livelihood, whether it's involved in tzedakah, or keeping shalom, keeping peace between people, all these things are equally as important as anything we're speaking about, all the sacrifices on the Mizbeach. What's the purpose of the sacrifices? To connect us to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, connect us to Hashem. And that's the purpose of everything that Hashem gives us as well, and every experience that we have, we're supposed to ultimately bring back and connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's, uh, it's brought down that in the, uh, the Rabbi Sol Salanter, known as the father of the Musr movement, <coughs> There was a, the, the sheikhit, the, the slaughter in his town, we've told this over previously, said that he wants to give up the job, it's too much pressure. The, the, the kosher food, if everybody's dependent on him, he says, it's too much pressure, I can't handle it. He says, what do you want to do? He says, instead I'll run a grocery. I'll be a simple person who runs a grocery. Yeah. So Mr. tells him, he says, you know, when it comes to slaughtering, there's one concern you have, and that is taking that knife and cutting it properly. Even everything else, the checking afterwards, you could rely on other people, technically. Did you want to go into business? Don't steal. Don't be jealous. Don't harass. Stay far away from falsehood. He's like, you're more scared of being a shochet than you are from being a business? Really? <laughs> really? He's like, stay a shochet. <laughs> you know, it's, it's easier. Now, 
It's in a right, but it's a it's a uh, a shokeh is an important position. We have to realize how. And on the flip side, how many mitzvahs we do daily? How many mitzvahs we do constantly that are biblical ways that we connect ourselves to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, But we just don't view it. We don't view running a grocery like I'm connecting to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. We don't view shopping as as a holy thing or things that are. You know, our, our daily errands and things that happen. There's anything that we're doing. We're taking care of our health. We're taking care of somebody else's health. While we're taking care even of ourselves, we have the opportunity to lift up other people's days by greeting them properly and so on and so forth. And there's constant, in, uh, you know, constant opportunity and obligation to do what we can to elevate it to like the Ten Commandments on Harsinai. And therefore, Rashi says, this is why our Parsha begins with a vav, ve'ele. And these, and, was and? The same way we discussed the Ten Commandments at Arsini, all the monetary matters and things we get involved in also have, uh, in our lives, should really take on the same, uh, take on the same status. Asher tosim lefneim, that you placed in front of them, like a set table. So Rashi over here says that Hashem was instructing Moshe not to be, um, not to be tight-lipped, I was sure better word than that about um, the halachos. Explain. Explain. You know, sometimes you, when you go to a fast food joint, you get your food and you're done. If you're at a sit-down eatery, so there's an ambiance, there's an atmosphere yeah, that's, that's, uh, that you're paying for as well. So it's the whole setting and somebody waits on you and things are more the, the the tastes are appreciated more and the time and you know everything is is divided Hashem's instructing Moshe that the way the Torah has to be taught is it has to be it, it can't just be handed over it can't just be given it has to be set up in front of people it when somebody teaches Torah the, the logic behind it and the meaning behind it the beauty behind it all has to come into place like a set table like when you show up to a meal there's already a, a fork there, there's a plate, there's a crystal uh, glass, there's, there's things there. Torah should be given over, not very haphazardly, and that's what it means, that you should set it up in front of them. Now, what type of, uh, what type of laws are we describing here? See, here we go, here's the monetary laws, and this should, this should disturb us a little bit. Kisikna Ebedevri, first law is, right? It sounds like, again... Right, an anti-Semitic person wrote the Torah. Called Kisikna Evidivri. If you're going to purchase an Evidivri, how do you have a Jewish servant? Because the guy stole and he can't pay back. Sheishonim Yavid. He works for a maximum of six years. Uvashvias in the seventh year. Yetsi Lachovshi Chinam. He's going to go Lachovshi. He's going to go free Chinam for free, which means free of charge. He doesn't have to pay his way out once he worked a total of six years. Now, there's, interestingly, there's two words in the Hebrew language that are connected to freedom. One is chafshi, and one is chorin. Right? Chorin. Lashana haba b'nei chorin. Next year we should be b'nei chorin. We should be free. The sages teach us, ein lacha ben chorin. There's no truly free person. Elamisha osek b'torah. A person whose life is guided and surrounded and involved in Torah. Because we're, we're freed from the chains of the Yitzhahara. That's really chaining us down to do things that we don't, uh, you know, we don't really want to do. What's the difference between chafshi and chinam? So the sages explain that chafshi is an element of freedom which is a lack of a lack of burden. That's chafshi. Chafshi means 
Not necessarily that I'm in charge of myself, but nobody else is in charge of me. That's one stage of freedom. There's another stage of freedom, which is to be a Ben Chorin. When we say at the Pesach Seder, right now we're here, the Shana Haba B'nei Chorin, next year we should be B'nei Chorin. We're not just asking to be freed from the chains of the Gullus, we're asking for a total freedom, even from things that, like the Yitzhahara and so on and so forth, things in our lives that chain us down, we should be elevated. It's a much, it's a, it's a next level type of freedom that's there. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. Um, so is it, they can't do that just So there's two ways to become an evidentiary. One way is if somebody sells themselves, and by the way, this is for males only. Females cannot do this. Females cannot do this. It's for men only. We're going to get, there's a type of female servitude, which interestingly is only until the age of bas mitzvah, and we'll get there. And this servitude has to do, the owner's going to have to set her up in marriage. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. She's called an amma. An amma means from the expression of aim, a mother. She has to be treated like, uh, like the head of a, a family. So in every strictly by a man, it has to be above the age of bar mitzvah. And somebody who has those legal rights to himself either can sell himself as a servant for a maximum of six years, or if you steal and you can't pay back. Now, if you work out some sort of other arrangement, like your situation, you're welcome to do like that as well. But then you're doing it by yourself. You're not doing it through any sort of um, any sort of uh, geneva, any sort of sin that happened. I, I want to read. I want to learn a few psukim here together, and then we're going to tell over a story that brings these psukim together. Okay, it's basically a story about these psukim. It's not, it's not going to be a true story, but it's something that um, I, I saw in my notes. Um, that I, I got a few years ago. It basically it tells over the story of what actually an evidentiary looked like. And it was just fascinating to put it all into perspective. So the six years you work, the seventh year you go out. In Begapu Yavu He goes in alone, he goes out alone. In Balishahu, if he was married, Yatsa Ishto Imo, his wife goes out with him after six years. Why is she with him? Because if you take somebody, you're obligated mm-hmm. to support their family as well. You can't just take a breadwinner away from the family, even if the guy stole. So if the, if the owner is going to have the thief work, at, work it off, he's obligated during that time to also ensure the stability of the wife and children. If, but if he was single, he goes out single. Now, what does it mean he goes out single? While you're there, as we're going to see, the owner can have him live and mate with his non-Jewish, um, non-Jewish maidservants. So if you have non-Jewish maidservants and a Jewish evidivri, He's allowed to have them mate. That's why it says he goes in alone and out alone. When he leaves, he's not allowed to leave with her. He was only permitted to her while he was a servant. Now, she's no longer, she's like a regular non-Jewish woman to him once he goes free. And he's not allowed to be with her anymore. Now, this is also one of the proofs from the Torah that the, you're only Jewish following the mother. Because... If you'd be Jewish following the father, it wouldn't say if he goes in alone, he goes out alone. It would say if he goes in alone, he should leave with his kids. The fact that his kids are staying with the mother is a proof that they have, they're, they're not following the laws of the father. They follow the laws of the mother. So this is one of the sources that you find that Judaism is going to uh, follow uh, uh, follows the mother and not the father. In Madon of Yitin Lo Isha, if the if the master gives him a, a woman to to live with, so that non Jewish woman, that maidservant, and her children stay with the master. He goes out alone. Okay, so that's what's going to happen in the six years and seven years. Yeah. 
Uh, how the Jew, a Jew became slave, you know, so, from, from, from another Jew. Yeah, so I thought it was in the war. You know? Right, so, so there's only two ways to become a slave that we touched on. One way is if somebody steals. <coughs> uh, sorry, can they, sorry. Yeah, no problem. Somebody steals uh-huh. and they can't pay back. So the Besdin will, ha- will uh, have that person work for somebody until it's paid off and then he's done. Uh-huh. Or if somebody can't support themselves. So they'll sell themselves as kind of like a permanent uh, servant. Okay? Now, within these psukim, you find that the Jewish servant needs to live with the master. He needs to live with the master. Okay? I want to go through a couple things about this and what the halachas are. So here we go. Here's the story. Get ready. You have a city of Jews. We'll pick on Reuven. Reuven is an Adam Mechubad. It's a noble, it's a noble Jew. He's got, he's got his act together, his life in order. He's got his, uh, he's honest financially. He's okay business-wise. He also has a family. Raises nice children in the way of Torah. Okay. Things are going well in Ruvain's life. On the other end of town, there's a Jew by the name of Yosef. Joseph. Yosef is somebody who cannot, cannot, you know, his, his luck just, uh, he's, uh, he's a shlamazel. Yeah, it's not happening. It's not happening. Okay. Can't he also, uh, you know, doesn't get along with it, with his family. Doesn't get along. He can't earn. He's a tough time earning a buck. Okay. So one evening, there's a break-in into the home of Reuven, and quietly, slowly but surely, each uh, cabinet is opened and emptied out. A lot of things are stolen. Uh, Reuven and his children. Wake up in the morning, and the house is a balagan, it's turned over. Apparently they had a visitor in the middle of the night. There's a lot of their cash is gone, a lot of the wife's jewelry is gone, and now the children are suffering from anxiety, and they're scared to go back to sleep the next night, because there's going to be a stranger in their house. Reuven hires a private detective. Okay. He's got enough money, he can do this himself, not relying on the police department. As a private detective, turns out, it was Yosef. This guy can't earn a proper penny. He, he's the one who broke into Ruvain's house. Okay? So they go to Yosef, and they say, Yosef, confess. And he says, it was me. No problem. He confesses. He says, I'm the God of... Okay? So they say, pay back. I don't have it. It's gone gone. All the money was used up. So they take Yosef to Besdin. He admitted that he stole the money. And Besdin says to Yosef, you know, you can't pay back. Guess what? You are now going to become an Eved Ivri. Okay? You're going to become a Jewish servant. And you're going to work off the exact amount that you stole from Reuven. Okay? So... The, uh, now Yosef's going to be uh, sold as an Ebed Ivri. His family 
you know, is in double worse, uh, you know, situation. They're all embarrassed. This is their husband. This is their father who could do such a thing. And they try selling Yosef as an evidivri, and nobody wants him. I don't want this scoundrel in my house. This guys are no good for nothing. Right? So Bez is like, okay, what do we do? So they say, no, we can't. Nobody else won't take him. So they say, Reuben, you know, if you want your money back, it's got to work for you. He'll become your evidivri. That's the, that's the way you get your money back. Okay? So Reuben's kids say to him, Dad, I mean... This guy's not coming into our house. We've been having nightmares about him for weeks already. We don't want him here. Okay? They don't want him here. And Ruvain's thinking to himself, you know, it's a big mitzvah. It says in the Torah, beginning of Parshas Mishpatim, it says we're going to try it. We're going to try this. B'chavod Gadol. We're going to bring, we're going to try this out. The first Shabbos, Yosef's now their evidivri. And they realize that there's only one silver cup for Kiddush. And there's only one armchair at the Shabbos table. You know, and the Torah says that you can't take something that's respectable. The owner can't sit in a respectable way when his servant is degraded. So Yosef has to sit at the Shabbos table with his family who he stole from about two months ago. Yeah? And since only one Kiddush cup, Reuven realizes that the Torah really wants him to honor Yosef with Kiddush. He should, this, this Ganav is the one who's going to make Kiddush and he's going to get the fluffy armchair. He's the one who's going to do this because that's, that's what it says in the Torah. Right? It says, Kitov lo imach. It's got to be good for him with you. You can't have something he doesn't have. That's the plus success. So, they, Yosef makes Kiddush on the wine. And if there's not so much wine... He's got to drink the Revias because he made the, you know, the half the cup because he he, he's the one who made the Kiddush. Now there's only a drop left for everybody else and not, nobody's too happy about this. Okay, comes time for the chalas and Yosef's the first one to be served chalas. Comes time for fish. He gets the best portion of uh, fish. Bottom line is, they're sitting at the Shabbos table and this guy who just turned over their lives two months ago Ruined everything. He's now sitting at the Shabbos table, and they're looking, and, and he's getting everything. He's like, and that's what it says in the Torah. You, 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 we're just telling the psukim in the story, right? We're just creating a story, and this is exactly what the what the pasuk says. Okay. Now, Shabbos is over, and now it's time to get to work. So, Ruvain's wife says, "Okay, yeah, go ahead." Who? His wife and children. Are they sitting at the Shabbos table? The Torah doesn't say that you have... The Torah says that you have to take care of them financially. Now, do they obligated to sit at the table? with You could assume they were there too. You could assume that. The Torah says you have to treat the Evan Ivri with you. Now, I'll tell you, if, if having his family with him is crucial the same way Ruvain's family is with him, then kitovlo imach means Reuven has to treat him to say he himself wants. So if Reuven needs his family with him, then he, that you would be right that Yosef's family should be with him as well. They don't have to work, but they're there. So now Shabbos is over, and uh, Reuven's wife started to get a little excited because now she has a full-time servant. Yeah, strong man who could uh, right, do sponja and take care of everything. So... 
So uh, Ruben says to his wife, he says, you know, we could put him to work, but we have to realize that the only work that we're allowed to do is something that's not demeaning. Can't be demeaning work. And also can't be too hard. The Torah says, You can't put them under backbreaking labor. You can't just give them any sort of demeaning and, and labor that's, uh, that's too hard. Now, what's happening in the meantime is as follows. Yosef's family is involved as well. And Ruvain and his kids are starting to get to know Yosef and give him a little bit of respect for what he has. And they're starting to get to know his family a little bit. And they may become friendly. They may not become friendly. But what you do have is that Yosef's family, who was in, not only in jeopardy, in ruins prior to this, which is why, what drove him to steal, is now going to be living in Ruvain's home and if Reuven is going to take care of his kids a certain way, he has to take care of Yosef's kids a certain way. So now his kids are also going to private school and having a malamid. They're going to have somebody teach them Torah now. So now Yosef's kids are, are, uh, are all being taught Torah. Now while this, de- this relationship is developing, Reuven's children are getting over their nightmares. They're getting over their nightmares. They, they see that there's, there's a much bigger picture than somebody who's out there in this nasty, big, wide world that's just camping out, waiting to get them for the next two decades of their life. So, <laughs> what's going to happen? Whatever happens. The big picture, long term, short term, these are the verses we just learned together. Up until this point in the story is what the, is what the Psukim tell us is going to happen. And you think about the, um, the, the question that, and the message that Reuven's family himself is, is learning. He says, you know, he'd say, his children are going to say to him as follows. If the Torah commands that we respect this guy who broke into our home and now becomes an Evid Ivri to a point where at the Shabbos table, he's the one making Kiddush and he's the one, uh, and he's the one uh, you know, making Hamotzi on, on the challah, if he's with that. So like, what does the Torah demand of us to treat other people like who, who didn't do this to us? And this becomes a whole chinuch opportunity for the whole for the whole family, and Odover Echaradai he says, and something else to take into account is that um, you have a situation here where a Jew went stole from another Jew. They're now connected for a few years. He's getting back on his feet and he's being put into an environment of what we'll call stability. In the culture we live in, if you were to take a thief, ultimately, by the way, with this system, there's no system that's foolproof. 
I'm painting a little bit rosy picture. You know, you can have kids at the Shabbos table. <laughs> Ruben's kids can sit there and be like, "No, I'm not coming." Right? Mm-hmm. I, I could see, I could see kids doing that. I could see adults doing that. Right? <laughs> not happening. Right? Or Ruben saying, "You're not coming into my house." Because yeah, I'm you're, you're, I'm painting a little bit of a rosy picture over here. But I want to look at the flip side for a minute. Let's see this. Flip side for a minute. In our society, somebody steals. They don't have anything. They don't have anything. You have no right to steal. But you do that. So they're going to go to court. And the victim is saying, give me back my money. And the court's like, "Uh, well, we'll lock him up for 30 years. How does that get my money back? Is the person going to get to work? But he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any accounts to pay you back. So what are you going to do? Just lock him up for the rest of his life? How's anything rectified? So you still have your money lost. This guy now is sitting in the slammer for however long. And everybody lost. Not only did anybody lose, we know for... The fact of the matter is, when people go into the slammer, their lives go even further downhill because the environment that they're in is around other people who live that type of life. And then they're, they're repeat offenders. And then you just go back. What the Torah is at least try, what Akash Baruch wants us to do as Torah Jews <coughs> is create situations and circumstances where we can break the cycle. We could break the cycle. Even if somebody's in Evid Ivri, right? Let's say somebody, like, there are people who live in debt for decades and decades and decades. They're always behind. We have a situation here where the Torah really creates. This is part of a situation. And again, this is not if, you know, let's say if somebody who's an every not for stealing, but for having, but selling themselves because they simply can't support their family. So now their family is being taken, by, taken in by somebody else. And what happens? The, the master of the family is responsible to have this person go back on his feet. So if you were in debt prior, this person, you work for them, they'll help you get rid of your debt. They'll help you take care of that, take this. And, and the financial cycle in the Torah, interestingly, is at max six or seven years. Any financial cycle that a person finds themselves in, you'll, you, you can create a scenario where you can get the help to ultimately pull you out of it so this does not become an ongoing cycle of, of, uh, of uh, financial lack. So his status doesn't change because of that. So it doesn't mean that... His status changed from an automatic six years now to, to being there up until Yova. But he wouldn't have to be living in their household and this type of thing. Then he could change the household status. Afterwards. But while he's a servant, these halachas remain in place. But if he, if he chooses... If, if Even he if he chooses to remain, he's still in Evidivri. Until so, Yova, it's going to stay the same. It'll stay the same. Judge, Let me share one more idea. I yeah. Just one more question. So, and, and the, the Jewish court in the country, like yeah. the U.S. when Brazil... Um, can it go against the laws of the of the country? It can be different. Uh-huh. It can be different. It can't it can't go against. You know, I mean, the, the, one of the halachos is dino demachusa dino. I mean, the laws of the land are the laws of the land. Uh-huh. So sometimes it'll be you know the the way halacha will view something will be different than it is civilly. But if a bezdin gives you the right to go to a civil court, then whatever the civil court uh, says is basically. Under the authority of the Bezdin, because the Bezdin says that's what, that's what you listen to. Right, because for instance, we don't have slaves, so if, if yeah, yeah, somebody exactly. says, "Oh, you have to take him as a slave," no, we don't do that nowadays. Right, right. Yeah, we don't have any. Like, this is only when the Jewish people were in power, and we, you know, and we had the the whole proper. It's part of a greater 
a much greater system. I want to just share one more, uh, one more idea, and then we'll take a couple more questions if there is any. Um, and that is something we like, touched on. The first financial law is a thief. You know what I mean? Start with like, be honest in business, um, lend people money. We're going like straight to a thief. Straight to like worst case scenario financially. Like, what's the deal? What's the deal? So there's a beautiful message in this. And that is that the Torah is letting us know from the get-go when we deal in mishpatim, when we deal with financial matters with others, that is, it's my personal responsibility to treat others in the way that Hashem wants me to treat others, despite the fact that they don't treat me the way that Hashem wants them to treat me. Okay? This is very important. And this is the first message as we go into financial matters. The reason why we start with this more than anything else is because when it comes to loans, when it comes to businesses, it's a two-way street. And we'll say, okay, so if he's fair with me, I'll be fair with him. If she's fair with me, I'll be fair with her. But if you're going to act like an animal, I'll act like an animal. The Torah wants to let us know the mindset that a Jew needs to have towards everything is I can't be me because you are you. I can't let you control my reaction to what's going to be. You can have somebody who's a ganav, somebody who's a, somebody who's a, a thief, and I'm still obligated to stay my course of doing what's right, despite the circumstances that this person, in a selfish way, dealt me. This, this, is, this whole thing's their fault. But I'm still responsible to, to stay my course. And part of being alive in a society is that, you know, is that it, it seems like, every, it could seem like everybody else has gone mad. And things are crazy, and all systems messed up, and, and nothing's going right. And why are people? Well, where's people's values? And you can start knocking everything and throwing it down. Or we could say, "Listen, I'm a tzelim alekim. I'm in the image of God. I have a Torah. I have a way that I'm responsible and expected to to deal with others. And uh, if I don't do that, what, what do I have? I'm going to react to them the way that they're causing me to react. I have to act and react to situations in a in a Torah fashion." And this is why it says Derech Eretz Karmala Torah. So Derech Eretz comes prior to uh, it comes prior to Torah. And that if if we need to be menshlech when connected to the word of Hashem, it can't just be that I'm using the word of Hashem to be not menshlech. You know, it's, and, and very often that's what happens. You, you know. It's, we'll, we'll use a pasuk as an excuse to do something wrong or something of that sort. My achrayis, my responsibility is to, uh, to uh, stay the course. And it's, it's very difficult. And especially when we're in difficult relationships and I've been stolen from and I've been wronged by others. This guy's a low life. And the Torah says, you still have to be a mensch. You know, that's, that's still, I, still need to, I still need to be a mensch. Look, that's still my responsibility. And, sh- and show this person, if I'm going to take them in, show them how a human being is, uh, is meant to act. Why don't they treat me like that? They don't know what it is. So I'll, I'll try to show them. You know, I'll try to show them what it is. But we can't lower ourselves to the, you know, to the um, mentality that they've, that they've uh, brought into my life. Okay. We're over time. We'll hold it here. Yeshikayak, everybody.